You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Kid, every time I'm pulling out, he's right there. Man, and someone needs to talk to his parents if they're ever at home. What is up with the traffic today? It's always, every day, this intersection's always crowded. I hate pulling out of here. I need some of these dumb roads. Oh, there's. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I'm not even here. Right. Great lady. The princess of parking. Oh, sure. Take the spot. Way to be considerate. Oh, are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Oh. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, it's about time. Let's see, what do I want? Uh, yeah, could I add a cookie to that order? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, uh, no problem, only guy in the world. I'm sure you need your cookie. The world? Your oyster, and he's serving your cookies. Thanks, sir. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. What can I get for you? Uh, yeah, I'll have a tall decaf macchiato. Yeah, sure, no problem. Three eighty-five. And uh, it might take a few minutes here. We've got quite a line, obviously, and thanks for your patience. Great. Yeah, <laughs> great. Great for me. Waiting again. Unbelievable. What? What is... What am I supposed to do? How can I how can I do anything about that? Can I even help with that? I don't your copy, sir. Oh. I can't I can't take this anymore. I gotta get out of here. Hey, watch
Hey, buddy. Come here. Good morning. I'm Pastor Bob, and I've been that guy in the video several times in my life. A type personality, I have a way of uh, thinking that the world revolves around me and I've got the things that I've got to do in my schedules. How about you? Every time I see that video, I, I think of a couple of quotes that just comes in my mind. One is uh, from James Bryant Smith, who said, Be kind to everyone, for everyone is carrying a burden. Be kind to everyone, for everyone is carrying a burden. And then Judith McNutt, who's a, a healer, a counselor, says that if we all wore on the outside the inner wounds that we carry on the inside and we could all see those, we'd all be kinder to each other. So you and I live in a wounded, in a wounded world. We live in a world, we live in a society, we live in a culture where we can get so hung up in our own agendas and what's going on with us that we really fail to be the neighbor to the person right in front of us. So today, we're going to be looking at a story, a story that perhaps is very familiar to you, the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story that Luke includes, and only the Gospel of Luke includes. It probably shouldn't surprise us that Luke does this, because as we've been looking at the stories of Luke since December, we've noticed something. We've noticed that Luke has a heart for the outsider. It's important for us to realize that Luke is probably the only contributor and writer of the New Testament that is non-Jewish. So he sees things from a different perspective. He sees things outside the religious milieu and the, and the tradition that others see things. And so he has a way of seeing people that are oftentimes invisible and considered outside of God's mercy, outside of God's love, outside of God's care. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency sometimes when I think about who my neighbor is and who the people I am concerned with, my circle oftentimes is far too small. Or it's a very carefully close-knit circle that I draw. And Jesus challenges us. He challenges us in, a, in an amazing, profound way with this very familiar story of the Good Samaritan. And I invite you, especially if you've heard this story hundreds of times, to listen with fresh ears what God wants to say to our hearts this morning. So one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, 
and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt, felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. Well, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So let's review this conversation that the expert in the law has with Jesus. Now, this guy knows the Torah. He knows the first five books of what we call the Old Testament by heart. And he's asked Jesus the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's his question. Not because he doesn't know the answer. Oh, he's sure he knows the answer. But he does it to test Jesus out. This Johnny-come-lately rabbi from Galilee. And so Jesus replies, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And he says the words that we all know. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. It's the right answer. Yeah. Jesus says, yeah, you're right. Do this and you will live. But the guy couldn't leave it there. Because he wanted to justify his own actions. Or you might say, he wanted to justify his own inactions. Because you sense that this expert in Scripture has a way of qualifying or quantifying who really is his neighbor. So he asked the question, who's my neighbor? And to that, Jesus answers with that story. Now, let's look at the characters that show up in Jesus' story. First of all, there's the man who was beaten along the road. Now, the new international, the, the new, let me get this right. What's this NLT thing called anyway? New Living Translation. Could not pull down the words. It's a great translation of the Bible in many ways. 
I mean, it has the, the modern English, and it's easy and more accessible for us to understand. But there's a downside to this. This translation takes some liberty with the text. And one of the things that this translation does that we just read is it talks about a Jewish man goes down the road. And in the original language, it's just a certain man. It's just a man. I think Jesus is intentionally nondescript about whoever it is that's beaten up because Jesus wants us to see that the person that is beaten up is just a human being. It's just anybody along the road that needs some help. Jesus is intentionally nondescript about that character. And he's nondescript about the bandits. And the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was indeed a, a dangerous road. And the bandits and their cruelty take advantage of the man, steal, and leave him half dead. And then Jesus, in his description of the characters, now gets very specific, and again, not leaving anything by chance. For Jesus describes the two men who pass by the victim. One is a priest, and one is a temple assistant. Both men are religious leaders. Both men are the type of individuals that the expert in the law that Jesus is telling the story to would be able to readily identify with. He might even see them as colleagues. Jesus is wanting him, and I think he's wanting us. Good, long-standing, church-going, religious people to be able to step into the story and realize we could be one of those persons who is passing somebody by. And then, <laughs> irony of all irony, the hero in the story is a despised Samaritan, a foreigner. Uh, Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. There's no question that the one who asked the question, who is my neighbor, would not begin to include a Samaritan in his thoughts. Samaritans were offspring of a foreign invading nation that overtook the Jewish people six centuries before, offsprings of intermarriage of Jews and Assyrians. They were seen as people that compromised the faith. They had their own temple. They had their own region. And so for Jesus to say that it's the Samaritan that loves and cares is profound. Um, I want to give you a geography lesson this morning a little bit. So you've got Galilee up to the north. And you've got Jerusalem, you've got Judah down to the south. And 
for anyone to make a pilgrimage, to, to make a journey to Jerusalem, the most convenient way would obviously to take the most direct route, which guess what? <laughs> you had to go through Samaria. It's like today in Springfield, Missouri, if you and I had to go to New Orleans, Louisiana, we most likely would pass through Arkansas. I'm not sure I want to do that because there's a lot of razorbacks down there. <laughs> but we would go through Arkansas. Guess what? A good Jew going from Galilee to Jerusalem would not go through Arkansas. They would not go through Samaria. They'd go around. This is what's so profound about Jesus, is that Jesus, as a Jewish leader, was always making overtures to Samaritans. He was always working against the tendency of bigotry and prejudice that we have towards certain identity groups. You can read about it in the Gospels. In the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he wasn't going to be one of those Jewish guys that bypassed Arkansas to get to New Orleans. And there he met a woman at the well. And there they conversed with each other, and he broke down the barrier of gender. He broke down the barrier of race. He broke down the barrier of division and hostility that had been, that had been carried for years. And when it was all over, the woman was convinced that he was the Messiah of God. Just in chapter 9 of Luke, before we come to this story of Jesus talking about the Good Samaritan, he had sent the disciples ahead, he had sent people ahead, asking that they might be able to stay in a Samaritan village. And the Samaritans refused to be hospitable to these Jewish guys. So this prejudice, this hatred, it ran both ways. And the disciples of Jesus, after listening and being with him for two and a half years, this loving leader, what's their response? Do you want us to rain down fire from heaven on them? <laughs> and Jesus rebukes them. It's significant that Jesus has the Samaritan as a hero. Later in the Gospel of Luke, he heals 10 men suffering from leprosy. And only one person comes to say thanks. And Luke is very careful to point out that the one who came to say thanks to Jesus was a Samaritan. So this morning, I want you to ask yourself, where is Samaria for you? Who are Samaritans? What's the people group? Or what's the individuals? Or what's the prejudice that you suffer from? Where is the place, who are the people that you will do what you can to avoid, let alone love? I'm glad that uh, Richard Cunningham is, is here today and his, his wife, Rachel, and 
Richard uh, is a Chiefs fan, and that's a photo of his daughter with him. Richard's uh, got a great testimony of how God has taken over his life. And he's a preacher. He's going to be preaching um, at the 11 o'clock service. So if you don't like this sermon, go, go across this, the road and, and he'll preach at church at the center. But he's a leader, and I'm glad to say he's a friend and he's a brother in Christ. And he tells the story um, of growing up in Springfield, Missouri. He had an African-American father, a Caucasian mother. And Richard said, and I remember him telling this about a year ago, it really stuck with me, that African-Americans would, would call him zebra. And the whites would call him the N-word. So, wasn't really accepted readily in any group. It would be easy for us to think, that was 20 years ago, but it seems like to me that you and I are living in such a harsh and hard time where there are so many different labels and so many self-identifying labels that the propensity is even worse than it was. Our hearts go out to the Muslim friends slain in mosque last Friday in New Zealand. But the hostility in posts and texts and tweets and words are other ways the people can be killed. The challenge for me in this story is to be able to see people as people. And I found it helpful when, when I might be prejudiced in the external ways in which people can easily be identified, is just to look into someone's eyes. When you look in someone's eyes, you see the image of God. You see someone that is made in the likeness of God. You see a child of God. And that's what really matters. And I think that's what we've really got to be able to see when we look at people. When I was uh, 16 years of age, Alvin Toffler wrote a book, Future Shock. And in that book, he made a prediction, he made a prophecy of the growing symptoms that would happen in our society. He said there would be an increase in rudeness, there'd be more finger pointing and judgment. There'd be an increase in divorce rates and family disruption. There'd be irritability and depression and advancing anxiety and increased anger, even rage. 
mental illness of all types, and a dramatic increase in the so-called psychosomatic sickness of insomnia, which I suffer from. <laughs> I think Toffler, unfortunately, got it right. And the tendency that we have then is just to withdraw, is just to be self-absorbed, or to draw that circle of our love and our concern ever so tightly, not really having time for others and pitting people against people. Well, this morning, now that I have lifted your spirits <laughs> and we talked about a happy subject, I do want to invite you to look into your heart. And simply ask yourself, who are the Samaritans? And don't worry, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm going to ask you to listen to groups because I think it's the very thing that Jesus doesn't want us to do. I am so done with the over-identification of identity groups in our culture. And Jesus is calling us back to see people as people. Sort of the question that the expert in the law asks, who's my neighbor? Jesus says that's a good question, but there's a better question. The question that really is important, which one of these three acted like a neighbor is supposed to act? So Jesus just cuts it down to the chase and says, this is what a neighbor does. This is what it really means to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, it really is that simple. We are the ones that complicate it. But Jesus is saying, it's that simple. What do you say? Well, we started with a video, and so I'm going to end with a video. Mr. Rogers was the guy when I was growing up that was the uh, stereotypical smasher of stereotypes in, in so many different ways. And so I'd like for him to have the last word this morning as, uh, in a very concrete way, gave us an example of how we're to break through barriers and love, love everyone. Let's watch. Nearly everyone remembers Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in this But not everyone knows that this cardigan-clad king of children's TV, Fred Rogers, was actually a pioneer who challenged racial stereotypes in media. Enter Francois Clemens. Francois Scarborough Clemens. And his role as Officer Clemens made him one of the first recurring black characters on a children's TV show. When I started, there were two, three shows, period, on television that employed a black character. Francois grew up during the Civil Rights Movement and times of great racial tension in the U.S. So when Fred asked me to be a police officer, Fred, 
are you sure? Do you know what policemen represent in the community where I was raised? And then he started talking about children needing helpers and the positive influence that I could have for young children. My heart opened as I listened to him. He accepted the role not knowing he would end up playing Officer Clemens for 30 years. And one of his most memorable scenes is also one of his favorites. There are many ways to say I love you. It's a very big deal for me to be putting my feet in the water with Fred. During a time of segregation, the symbolism wasn't lost on Francois. To say that he uh, didn't know what he was doing or that he accidentally stumbled into integration or talking about racism or sexism, that's not Mr. Rogers. It was well planned and well thought out and I think it was very impactful. There are many ways to say I love you. That impact was felt by many, but for Francois, it was personal. I was in the studio one day. That particular day, he was filming the end of the show. And when he got to the part, he said, you make every day a special day. You know how? By just your being you. And I swear it was like, just looking right into my eyes. And when the music stopped, I said, Fred, were you talking to me? And he said, yes, I have been talking to you for years, but you heard me today. 